years, your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Hello again, and welcome to Study Buddies, a podcast where we bring you the latest developments in science and psychology. My name is Paula sanchez Abreu, And my name is Taylor Collins. What is up? We just wanted to ask you guys real quick before we get started, if you've been listening and you are liking what you're hearing, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. It helps us a whole bunch. So thank you in Do advance, it. and we'll read Do all of it. Them. Do it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, we will. Um, we sorry, will. I was just channeling my inner inner uh, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Just. Yeah, no. Do it. So definitely rate us because we want to hear your comments and <laughs> we want, you know, the stars and things. All the so stars. I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to open this week with the fact that I had like an insta famous person follow me and i don't what? know why they follow me okay Wait, like who is it so i follow this guy on instagram and he's so funny his name is trey kennedy and Work. he does like I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen his videos but he does all these like little kind of just clips of him saying like funny jokes and puns and they have different themes and they're i, I find them absolutely hysterical mm-hmm. and he works a lot with i think his friend um yeah his name is is Jake Triplett, and Jake Triplett has like I don't know thousands of followers, and is only following like seventeen hundred people, and <laughs> I am apparently one of them. And I, I'm just <laughs> he followed me three days ago, and I, I just have no idea. That's so weird why. too, because like your <laughs> your profile is private, so like. He had to request to follow you, so it's not like he could, like, subtly follow you. He had to, like, ask you, and then you would be in the know that he was following you, and then you had to, like, accept him or not. Right. So I'm just like, how did you find me? Like, mainly, I just post photos of tomato plants. Like, I'm not that exciting, (laughs) like, my online presence. That is a mystery. I like it. I'm just, like, you know, very intrigued by it, and, like, it made my week so i'm just you know jake triplet if you are out there and you are hearing this podcast just like you know feel free to reach out slide into the slide into the dms and explain yourself sir <laughs> or actually just we just want to know how you found taylor and how also did you find um me? how can i be found that way um i'm i want to be famous more than taylor does so um i do not want to be famous at all cool yeah so jake if you do reach out to taylor just like Please inform her as to how you found her so that way I can recreate what she did and be found by many as well. Thank you very much, Jake. (laughs) Many famous Insta men. Comedians. (laughs) Um, Well, how about you? How was your week, Paula? um, (laughs) I have listened to the new album, um, that the chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, released eight times in the past twenty four hours. Wait, I'm it's, sorry, eight times? It's just so good. It's so Wait, good. Wait, eight times in twenty four hours? Does the math even compute? Did you sleep? Yeah, it does. No, it definitely does. It takes about an hour and ten minutes to get through the album. Oh my god, that's a full work day of this <laughs> album. <laughs> Okay, please it's, tell me why it's okay. so good. The album is called Gaslighter, and 
like from what I'm I don't know a lot about the chicks in general or their personal lives but from what it sounds like it sounds like one of them was cheated on by their husband just for years and years and years like a full-on affair and this is like an album that talks about that and it's it's really good like oh the album is called Gaslighter which should tell you enough but like Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I love their rebranding. Like, I loved that they changed their name from the Dixie Chicks to the Chicks. I think that is just, like, so in line. And I'm... Oh, Taylor, I just can't wait for you to listen to just even, like, some of the songs on the album if you don't listen to the whole album because I know you're not necessarily an album girl. But it's so good. It's so good. (laughs) I mean, I feel like based on this raving... Raving... This, it's a raving same, review. It's raving review. Um, and the fact that you've literally put a whole work day into this, I may, I might listen to it. Like, you might make me an album girl, at least for this it, one. I'm 100% going to go and listen to the album after this. Do you know what Paola said to me before? She goes, Taylor, you need to listen to this chick's album. <laughs> and I'm like, what chick? All right, like, what's her name? Like, like <laughs> So because they renamed themselves from the Dixie Chicks to the Chicks, I feel like it's really hard to know what she was saying to me. It's like if a a band was named, like, Dude, and you were like, oh, you need to listen to this Dude's album. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't. That's fair. But I kind of love that. I love their, like, anonymity and also, like, anytime you say, like, the Chicks, you could be talking about them. That's pretty, that's pretty strong decisions on their part yeah it's more informal and it's also cute and heartwarming because it brings to mind like little baby baby birds (laughs) which no one no one doesn't want that to pop into their brain at any time good job the chicks good job we agree so why don't we move on to (laughs) animal house this is a segment where paula brings us amazing animal facts what do you have for us today okay so um Today, I am bringing you this snail that was sent to me in a Bug Facts Instagram group message that I'm in. And um, the snail is called a Leptopoma perlucida. And um, I'm going to spell that for you so you could go and look it up right now because this snail is gorgeous. It's L E P T O P O M A. P-E-R-L-U-C-I-D-A. And hippopotamus. <laughs> um, don't look up a hippopotamus. Look up the Leptopoma perlucida. So this snail has a translucent shell and the green mantle. The mantle is like basically like the skin that a snail wears. Um Ooh, that like fancy. yeah like, like covers all its outsides and i just the, the fact is that this animal is beautiful and that's the fact so <laughs> you should go and look it up because it's i think i would get this snail painted and put on my wall and for those of you that know me i famously am kind of freaked out and terrified of snails so it's saying a lot that i would put this snail on my wall let Topoma perlucida. Boom. I really like the idea that it's translucent. I always feel like translucent, like animals or bugs are so cool. Like I think about the ones that are like under the sea and they have, I don't even know, like that light stuff. The like dangly that, light thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that like fluorescent light that, well, there's like a, not even just the dangly one, not even like the, the bad guy in Nemo. Like, yeah, because we all know that that's what we know that animal from. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but also there's like a whole like category of animals like that. Um, and they mm-hmm. all use, and I'm not, I can't remember what it's called. Like that. We'll find type out. Type of light. It's, it's a way to communicate. Um, yeah. And someone listening to this is probably screaming it in their head because they're, they know about it and it's so exciting. But it's, it's really cool, I think, when animals are translucent. Yeah. It's really awesome. Well, thank you for bringing us that translucent snail. Yeah, yeah. Animal house. The hippopotamus. N- no, it's not the hippopotamus. <laughs> the hippopotamus snail. Leptopoma perlucida. That's what I said. Okay, so why don't we move on to yeah. our study? Yeah, let's let's uh let's talk about this study. So Taylor, you brought us the study for this week, a study that has been spoken about in waves over the past couple weeks. Um, so let's chat about it. What do we got today, Taylor? Yeah. So today I have a study for you that reminds us of why we really need to keep a critical eye on science and like methodology. Uh, in order to hold researchers accountable uh, and be wary of bad research. Bad research. What is bad research? Yeah. So bad research can be a problem for a lot of different reasons. Um, Almost always any research that we collect is going to have limitations that might affect the outcome. Um, And it's important that like us as people reading the research and as authors that we're aware of these um, pieces of studies and that uh, they allow us to interpret the findings in a way that knows there might be some level of error, right? Mm -hmm. However, there's bad research in a way that the limitations are so big or the problems with the study are so inherent that they ultimately make it so that way the findings really aren't something that is correct. So sometimes it can be like the way we gather the data or the way that we um, sample like certain subjects or how we might look at it as researchers or um, how we might analyze it. There's so many different like errors in the within a study that yeah. can make it really less credible and more like kind of open to interpretation. Sure. And so I think it's really important that we keep those in mind all the time when we're doing, when we're understanding research, mm-hmm. not to just take I, like the conclusions at face value, because sometimes mm-hmm. a study might say, oh, we found there's an association between this like one thing and this other thing. But then when you go to actually look at how they like measured one of those things, mm-hmm. then the way that they measured it makes no sense or mm-hmm. doesn't really actually capture it. So then it just invalidates it. Right. So Today, we have a study for you that has so much bias in flood methodology that it actually started a movement in the medical community, hashtag med bikini. I saw a lot of this hashtag med bikini happening. So let's talk a little bit more about this um, controversial study. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. So this study was actually published in the August 2020 issue uh, of the Journal of Vascular Surgery, and it's titled... (laughs) Prevalence of unprofessional social media content among young vascular surgeons. <laughs> okay. Um, so what was the original intent of this study? So like the point of this study was to note that some patients may research doctors online and that they might be judged by photos or information that we 
that a clinician or a doctor might put out. So this was like kind of a pseudo investigation. I'm calling it pseudo because of the flaws in the study Mm -hmm. uh, to look at like professionalism of doctors on social media. And they suggested that their findings should serve as like this warning uh, that young surgeons should be more aware of the permanent public exposure of unprofessional content that can be accessed by peers, patients, and current or future employers. Okay. I'm I'm laughing because this feels like it it just feels like a conversation that like teachers tried to have with us when Facebook was emerging of like be careful with what you post on Facebook like you might not be led into college. Like that's that's what this is sounding like. I'm going to let you I'm going to let you continue, but I'm just I'm sorry I'm laughing. I think this is a really like interesting area because of course there is a lot of conversation about what you should and shouldn't post online. Um, and it becomes I think really difficult to have this like separation between, you know, personal and professional. Mm-hmm. However, this study, the way that they actually analyzed what they considered unprofessional on people's private Instagram, Facebooks, and Twitters are, I think, what the medical community and a lot of others took issue with. Got it. How did the researchers conduct this study? So they used a directory of vascular surgeons, and they came up with a list of 480 surgeons. Mm -hmm. And then they created, like, a neutral account on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, in order to use these neutral accounts to search for anything that was publicly available um, based on these these surgeons' names. So they made fake accounts to stalk fellow surgeons, is what I'm yes. hearing. Yeah, so not only did they stalk them, um, but then, now, mind you, it was this was three uh, male researchers, uh-huh. uh, and they then sorted all of the content that they found into two groups that were clearly unprofessional or potentially unprofessional. The clearly unprofessional content that they included was um, HIPAA violations, which HIPAA is like uh, privacy of patients, essentially. Yeah. Intoxicated appearance, unlawful behavior, possession of drugs or drug paraphernalia, Mm -hmm. Um, And uncensored profanity or offensive comments about colleagues, work, or patients. Okay. So anything that they found that they they decided went in that category went in the clearly unprofessional category. Now, their next category is potentially unprofessional content. And this included holding or consuming alcohol, inappropriate attire, censored profanity, controversial political or religious comments and controversial social topics okay and like how did they determine like what was inappropriate attire like what was controversial in like politics or religion like who 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 determined that so essentially the three researchers they each investigated different media profiles and of each profile it would be investigated by two people and they would just determine between the three of them so it was these three guys and they were all (laughs) in their late their 20s and early 30s and those Um, 
three people decided what was unprofessional or potentially unprofessional. Yes. And so the way that they based these categories, it was actually off of um, two previous studies, uh, one in t- 2014 and one in 2007. Oh. Um, that had done similar kind of analytics of different professionals, certain like medical professionals and mm-hmm. their social media. And I will say that like these studies were just as or similarly suspect in their hmm. kind of groupings of what is professional and unprofessional. Yeah. It's just such a subjective thing in general that like if you don't have like a wide range of people that are determining what is professional and unprofessional, then like it's just going to be so biased. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So um, tell me, what did they find? So it really doesn't matter what they found. (laughs) (laughs) Because the way in which they sorted and gathered the information was clearly biased. Mm. Um, However, of 480 people, they had said that 230 of the surgeons had social media and their finding was that 26%, so a quarter of the pe- the surgeons, uh, had clearly or potentially unprofessional content. So they were, their suggestion was essentially like surgeons really need to be wary of what they post and what it could mean. And that was kind of what their message, I think, okay. was in this study. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about the problems in the study. Can you, can you explain a little bit more about, about that? Yeah, sure. Because on the surface level, the study might make sense. Like, okay, people posting things. Right. First problem um, was that they didn't actually receive permission from the Association of Program Directors in Vascular Surgery to use their database to create this list of 480 surgeons. Okay. And that's something that I think the IRB probably should have caught. What is the IRB? So an IRB is the Institutional Review Board. And Basically, at each university, there is a review board that will look over potential studies and say whether or not they're ethical or things that you might need to fix or check up on in order to do the studies. And Got it. So in addition to them not actually receiving permission from the association, Boston University's IRB also allowed them to waive consent because this information was public online. So the doctors didn't actually know they were being reviewed online and that their personal posts were being categorized in this study. Can I ask, because there were, because if they were to tell these like surgeons that we were going to, we're, we're going to be looking at your social media profiles, that would essentially alter the results of the study. But there's Mm -hmm. like the ethical, there's the ethical question of like, these people not even knowing that they're being that they're a part of the study is that what the problem with that is you know I think this is like it was ultimately determined that it was okay by Boston's IRB but I just think it's just interesting to note that like these surgeons didn't know this was happening um it was I think it was okay because this information was again public so they weren't okay like they weren't outing like private information or anything but it just is good to note that these doctors didn't have any idea that they were being a part of this study or that their social media was being looked at by colleagues in the field and going to be reported on. Yeah. And in what it seems to be like kind of a don't do this kind of way, 
rather rather than a like we can look at these people to objectively find something rather than what they did which was we can look at these people and show you what not to do right those two things feel very different um okay and then so what led to the backlash from women in medicine that prompted that hashtag med bikini movement yeah so i guess one of the main problems uh was that it was these three men making subjective decisions as to what they deemed unprofessional. So now again, that was like holding alcohol in inappropriate tire and um, like controversial political or religious comments or social topics. Mm-hmm. So they tried to clarify what these general categories meant in the paper. So they okay. they stated that inappropriate attire included pictures in underwear, provocative Halloween costumes, and provocative posing in bikinis or swimwear. Controversial political and religious comments were any derogatory or demeaning comments directed towards an individual or specific faith. Controversial social comments were largely comments centered around specific stances on abortion or gun control. Okay. I mean, there's a thousand problems wrong. Like, there's a thousand problems with this. Um, There are so many problems with this. Like, when you actually, again, taking this on face value, you're like, oh, you don't want doctors to post inappropriate things online because it makes them look unprofessional. Sure. But when you break it down and you look at what they actually decided was unprofessional, it's unprofessional. It's like going to the beach and having a corona. Yeah. And, like, being in a bikini when you do that. Which, it's... Like, the idea that this, like, this provocative posing in bikinis and swimwear, like, what is a provocative pose? Who's determining what, what is provocative? Like, are these straight white men going to determine what's provocative? Because I could argue that most things would be provocative if there's a woman standing there in a bikini. That, that would be provocative to somebody that is attracted to women. Right. And so that was, I think, the inherent issue that the that women started the hashtag med bikini movement, which is essentially women in medicine were posting photos of themselves in a bikini and saying, just because I wear a bikini on my time off does not mean I'm not a great surgeon or doctor right. or nurse. It doesn't be just because I'm a, a woman in a bikini does not pull away from myself as a professional. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's like by labeling things like such as a provocative Halloween costume, um, bikinis and opinions on abortion and gun control unprofessional who do we think that they're primarily right. targeting who are going to be the people like I have you I don't know if you've ever done just a general google search of like women's halloween costumes or like men's halloween costumes because women's halloween they're just costumes, like all sexy it's impossible to find a not sexy halloween costume of like of being just like a a nurse or like a princess you you would you right. have to like be like a pumpkin in like a huge you know big old enormous thing in order for it to not be a sexy costume like there's no in-betweens right. for women so say you have you know a, a woman's nurse costume and a male nurse costume is it because that there's like a lower like neckline on her costume that it's unprofessional yeah. Whereas the man's costume wouldn't be designed in right. the same way. So it's just, there's par- there's pieces of this that are just kind of inherently... Sexist? Biased. <laughs> yeah, sexist. Thank yes. you. Is that, is that an, an... It is an ism. <laughs> is that an ism? Yes, it's an ism. Um, so yeah, I, 
I think like that was a that's been a huge issue and there's just long standing gender bias in the medical right. community as it yeah. is. Female doctors are more likely to be mistaken as nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, they make less money, like 90 cents to the dollar, compared to their like, male counterparts, and they're less likely to be seen in leadership positions. Right. So you're shaming a group of people that the medical community is already like oppressing in general. It's just also just creepy. Like these. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. These men essentially just like went and stalked social media of their fellow colleagues and then deemed things appropriate or inappropriate and then published it under the guise of like scientific literature. And yeah, the the problem of this all is that there is a board that approved that. Yeah, that that feels kind of crazy to me. I, I just can't I can't get past the like. Who is determining what is professional and unprofessional? It, honestly, what it reminds me of is like people policing black women's hair in the workplace, like deeming black women's hair unprprofessional if it's not, you know, straightened. Like who's determining that? You know, do you know that only only seven out of 50 states have the Crown Act passed? Right. Uh, this is just a side note. This is not our study, but like. The fact that only seven states... So the Crown Act is basically an act that says that you can't say that someone's natural hair is unprofessional. And it's only passed in seven out of our out of the 50 right. states right And, now. like, who determined what... Like, that? Like who determined that natural hair is unprofessional? Like, it 100% probably wasn't black people, you know? Like, very likely it for, wasn't. For sure, because if I, if I get to wake up and my... The way that my hair is, if I don't have to do anything... And I get to go to work and it's considered professional. Like, that's a huge advantage for me versus someone who has to wake up and now either pay someone extra money or take extra time. Both of those are, again, financial and time constraints mm-hmm. someone on someone in order to, to go to work to be seen as the same level of professionalism. Right. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, like, that's what I think of when, like, when you're using this term professional and who's deciding what's professional, like... there's just there's no way for that to be unbiased especially if it's people that are like in the dominant group which is like males in general are dominant in the medical community so if they're deciding what's professional then yeah like women are going to be left behind you know yeah and so the and the other portion is so they had an issue with doctors taking public stances on abortion and gun control. Which are public health issues. So wouldn't people in right. the medical community have opinions about that? Yeah. Doctors are on the front lines treating patients who are victims of gunshot wounds and treating women with various reasons that they may need an access to right. abortion. So I would say they have a right, if not a legitimate responsibility to be involved and advocating on a political level for the health and safety of their patients. But apparently that was, again, deemed as potentially unprofessional in in this study. So again, looking at kind of the fine details of how someone's defining something is incredibly important. Um, I think that you can relax in a bikini with a beer uh, on your own time and still be a very amazing life-saving surgeon when you're on the clock. Absolutely. It's not unprofessional to like take a vacation and have a drink that's ridiculous yeah so i i think we need to stop like dehumanizing professionals and and doctors and kind of stripping hood stripping them of like personhood 
and beliefs. Yeah. Um, I think these are like we we're human. We can be we can wear a bikini. We can hold a drink of alcohol. We can advocate for something that helps our patients. And it doesn't mean you're not a, a professional. Yeah, person. it's it's just an interesting like look as to because I understand like that the point of the study was to like encourage surgeons to be careful with what they're posting online so they can get jobs and be trusted more as medical professionals. But I think that's like a huge comment socially on like how we deem what is professional or not and how we decide to like trust people and I feel like I would trust somebody more that has like a well-rounded social life and like understands that like they can take a va- I would trust a doctor that has taken a vacation over a doctor that hasn't taken a vacation in years you know like there's it's just interesting to think socially about what what we pick up from people just living their lives on the internet Right. And I think it also, it, it reminds me of just a lot of things going on right now. You know, it's 2020. There's so much talk of like cancel culture and mm-hmm. um, everything really being polarized. And I think that this kind of stems into that where when you do anything now, there's just so much documentation of it. Yeah. And then someone can, someone can pick apart any documentation of your life and tell you why you should or shouldn't be doing that thing. Yeah. It's true. Again, surgeons are people surgeons are competent women surgeons are allowed to wear bikinis that is my thought of of all of this it's not provocative just because you're in a bikini so I just I did want to say that this study was published in the journal of vascular surgery right uh vascular meaning related to vessels such as like blood vessels Mm -hmm. um and this was this article it was chosen amid the COVID-19 epidemic um, as an outstanding study to highlight. <laughs> so I just want to take a moment because I think this is incredibly important. Listen to Peter Lawrence, senior editor of the Journal of Vascular Surgery Publications, talk about the massive number of studies that they combed through and turned down about COVID-19 in order to select and highlight this garbage study. Hello, my name is Peter Lawrence, and I'm pleased to introduce the August issue of the Journal of Vascular Surgery, and to highlight four outstanding papers that are freely available for the next two months. This is the fourth video that we've produced since the COVID virus hit the United States, and we know that many of our readers of the JVS Journal's lives have been turned upside down. We've also received over 150 COVID papers, but we must now begin turning some of them down. If we took all of them, we'd need a wheelbarrow for you to carry the journal. Please don't be insulted if we do not accept your submission in the JVS journals. It's a matter of publishing original ideas and unfortunately being forced to reject some well-written submissions that do not report on new concepts or data. Hopefully, what we have published so far will result in better patient care for those COVID patients who have arterial and lymphatic diseases. I, there's, I just, I can say a thousand things about this video. And also I highly encourage everybody to go and look up this video because it's better if you watch it. Uh, personally, I think so. But the, the wheelbarrow part is my favorite part. So 
I, I just, I'm sorry. Like, the study that we published, the study that they published, their mission is to, like, help COVID patients. And they're hoping that the research that they're forwarding <laughs> is, what? Why did you choose this? You had 150 studies. You had a wheelbarrow. They had a, a had, whole wheelbarrow full. You had a wheelbarrow full of studies. And you went, no, 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 no. This one this one in the middle of a pandemic needs to be highlighted of like four. He goes on to describe four studies. And this is one of the four studies as outstanding research. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I'm sorry, I, but I, I don't, I don't understand why this study got through compared to all of the other highlighted studies in the middle of a pandemic where I think a lot of scientists and doctors and professionals could have benefited a lot more from one of those um, yeah. COVID studies that was passed up. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I the logic behind it. I I mean I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I just I felt that that clip of this man uh, saying that. Now that that video was released um, on July twentieth, twenty twenty, and it, the study has since been redacted as of July twenty fourth, twenty twenty. After the overwhelming media backlash from female surgeons and allies. Um, noting the prevalence of bias against women in the medical field. Mm -hmm. um, the editorial team, including Peter Lawrence, um, had issued an apology for their including that study, and they have they redacted it, and two of the authors have also issued apologies as well. Well, that's, I mean, that's positive, at least. It is positive. Um, the, the author, uh, one of the authors, Thomas Chang, noted... Our intent was to empower surgeons to be aware and then personally decide what may be easily available for patients and colleagues to see about us. However, this was not the result. We realized that the definition of the definition of professionalism is rapidly changing in medicine and that we need to support trainees and surgeons as our society cha changes. Right. We tried to look at the term professionalism through the scope of what the general patient population might perceive as publicly available accounts. We are sorry that we made the young surgeons feel target targeted and that we were judgmental. That's a, I would say that that's a pretty decent apology. And it's yes. pretty self-aware, which is good. Uh, so was... I will say that not all of the authors did provide apologies. As of right now, I think there were seven authors and two of the seven did. Um, mm. Wow. And, and the uh, the apology from um, the Journal of Vascular Surgery as well stated that they will search to be like more inclusive in their editorial staff um, in order to Good. kind of catch some of these things that may have been otherwise slipping by. Yeah, it's so, pretty crazy that this actually like got through. Yeah, yeah, it was actually published in December, and I guess the and put into the August issue. I guess the most interesting part of it too is that the studies prior that it was modeled after have not been redacted um they're still very much so the 2014 and 2017 yeah. studies which now i like yeah. want to go read those studies and rip yeah. it apart yeah those studies also included one of them included the 2017 study said that some of the social issues uh included thing views such as same-sex marriage or the legalization of marijuana as well which hmm. obviously I think both of those issues are are pretty salient issues for people to have opinions on but particularly within the medical community I could see there being a lot of positions on the legalization of marijuana because it's yeah. talked about in the medical community right fascinating 
This yeah. is very, this was all, this was a wild ride for me just diving deeper because I had heard about this study and I, you know, briefly had read about it and I knew about the hashtag med bikini movement. But this deeper dive just, uh, God, it's my, it's mind blowing. <laughs> That's <laughs> why my I mind. think it's, it's so important to make sure that when we look at research, we really do keep a critical eye because researchers are human. Research is inherently flawed and we have to Mm -hmm. make sure that we look at the details of how something was done in order to understand those results. Because otherwise you could just take this and run. You could have taken this information if you didn't really look at the study and said, wow, a quarter of vascular surgeons have unprofessional content on social media. And therefore, a quarter of vascular surgeons could potentially screw up my surgery, which is, I think, what they were kind of implying when they were like, hey, like this unprofessional content could lead people to think that you are also unprofessional in your job. Right, right. Their their intent was to make surgeons aware of the fact that things that they post can make them unprofessional. But I also, and I, and I understand that there is like a genuine good thought behind that. But I, I think that if there's an issue with, if you as a patient have an issue with your surgeon who is a woman having a photo online of her in a bikini and holding a beer, then I think the issues that are underneath that are what's actually driving yes. your issues, not the fact that she's in a bikini. I think yep. it's the fact that she's a woman. Yep, that was well put, Taylor Collins. That's exactly what what it is. <sighs> I also want to know, like, I don't, I've never researched any of my doctors on Instagram before. Like, I've <laughs> never done that. And I want to know who's doing that. I guess if you, like, look them up on Google, then, like, their Instagram might populate. But that's like a... I think it might happen. That's like a reach, I think. I, I find this really interesting study, too, because... I I know I sometimes struggle with this as just a clinician. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a complex issue. Uh, The professional and personal social media pages as it is, but particularly being a therapist, there's aspects of self-disclosure or telling kind of about my life um, that I don't do because I don't want our, my relationship with my clients to be about me and my life. Um, right, not because right. I don't want to share things or because I keep everything private, but because but because it's not going to help them in my treatment for them to know these things mm-hmm. about me. But I also should be able to have my own life and not fear for, for yeah. media retaliation. So I think mm-hmm. not just in my profession and others, too, but it, it becomes a very complicated issue about sure. being being judged for what one puts online. Yeah. Yeah. Does your personal... Does your personal life always reflect on how you show up for whoever you're working for? Yeah. And it's and it's true because, I mean, in the same breath, like, we have people being fi- fired for posting racist tweets um, mm-hmm. and posting racist, racist Facebook statuses. So if we it's, – it's a, it's a fine line to walk, and I don't think that there's a great answer. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think we should be – when it's not something that's objectively hate directed, I yeah. don't think we should be saying that things are um, unprofessional. Yeah, I know. I agree. Unless completely. again, there's an unless there's an element of hate towards a person or a community, I think we that's going to influence your job. Yeah, right. But I think that we need allow to allow people to to be people. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, thank you, Taylor, for bringing in that study. 
Um, it's well appreciated. Important conversation. So let's close out with a little mean for a sec. This is a segment where we talk about something that we feel strongly about and we just get mean for just a sec, but it's just a sec. It doesn't last that long. So Taylor's going to take it away on this one. I just have a, a quick little one. My mean for a sec this week is along the lines of if social workers making less than $50,000 a year are personally liable to be sued for malpractice and have to pay for insurance, then you bet that a cop should too. I, I don't understand why we can hold doctors and therapists and attorneys to this standard, but not cops. What is so wrong with accountability for the police? Just because it's different from how it has been before does not mean that it's bad. Yeah. I clapped for that mean for a sec. I clap. Thank you. I think I hope this that is, didn't this sound is... terrible in the microphone. I was clapping for real. But it's true. Like, we need to hold our police account. I don't, I've never understood why we can't hold police accountable. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And it's really interesting because I think the idea of insurance is actually a great idea. Um, because, mm-hmm. again, if you're doing your job the way you are, then were you to be sued, you'd be able to just stand by that. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that because police are, they're like arresting people and enforcing law, that they would be constantly being sued and constantly being like people fighting against their their charges by just suing the cop that charged them right that like people would constantly be complaining but I think similar things happen in other fields as a therapist if I don't push or challenge my clients I don't you're not doing your job (laughs) right a lot of there's and there's often times that like clients will shut down after you challenge them or you try to kind of push them and then they're very offended by you or something that you said. And I think it's, that's kind of part of the doing the job, but then there's also insurance to protect me if I am doing my job the right way. And so if cops are doing their job the right way and they just say, Hey, look, like here's the video evidence. Here's me following these things. Then they like the, justification behind being sued or having a complaint against them wouldn't be founded because as long as you were doing your job the right way right it it would be okay yeah nobody's really holding police accountable which is crazy to me like it's there's just like this like disgusting like bro code within police even with like female police officers or like non-binary police officers I, I think that there is like a just a general protection within cops in general and it causes a lot of problems it's so hard to break down and it's so complicated and I do think that there's such an important piece of being able to I I have this is not really in the same breath but on the same point I also have an issue with the saying uh, ACAB all cops are I'll say bad people um (laughs) But I don't think that the idea that all cops are bad uh, is is also true. I get I get the point of behind it. The point is that the system of police is bad. It's right. not working. Um, but I think it, when we say that all of any like person is bad, it then immediately makes people defensive. So mm-hmm. this is like something I kind of was thinking about when I was thinking about this whole like all cops are bad idea is 
the idea behind that is so important, right? The, the reason right. that that movement is there the, is, is so important. But when it gets simplified down to this like message, which is really helpful in like recruiting people and helpful in protesting and helpful in organizing the whole all cops are bad idea, like encompasses a belief. The problem is I think that the this unilateral, unilateral message of all cops are bad. The problem is this simplified message of all cops are bad, I think gets taken at face value by people on the police side and it's in it elicits this like immediate defensive reaction so um, even though like these simplified messages really help organize people I think when it comes to actually breaking down and changing ideas being shoved in the face with a simplified message tends to put people's like defensive shields up yeah it definitely um what is it called when you separate groups polarize yes yeah, it's it's a well, it's a polarized idea, and so it draw it it draws people apart rather than unifies people behind a cause. And I think police account. I don't understand why police accountability. Like, I I do understand that the system in is flawed in general, and it's hard to modify just a broken system. But police accountability should be something that everybody is advocating for, and I don't understand why. Right. Um. Even p- people that if you. And if you believe that the police are good, well, then holding them accountable shouldn't be a problem. Right. (laughs) Right. And I think that's the thing. The idea of like, I think if we can break these ideas down, there are there are places in like policies and procedures where we people can come to common ground. But I think right now it's so people are so protective of what they have in the way that things are that they aren't in a place to hear the ideas behind the ideas and that like we I think we're at a place right now where communication is stalled and we really need people within uh within the police and um within people who are developing these systems to really come out and kind of hear I think more ideas of how to actually create change that helps the police function in a way that they were intended Um, well they weren't intended to function in any way except for to police black people the cops were formed after slaves, slavery ended. That's that's when the police started. And I think that's a really great correction uh, that you make there. I think maybe it needs to be changed in a way so that way they function in a way that serves everyone fairly yeah. and helps protect people rather than in a way that is kind of targeting these. Yeah, mm-hmm. propagating these issues. Yeah. So I, I'm all for accountability. I have to be accountable we all have to be accountable in our jobs. It doesn't make any sense that any, especially if you're protecting the people, I think you should be held accountable to make sure you're actually protecting the people. It seems, it seems, I mean, to me, it just seems like a no-brainer. So I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I agree. That's my mean for a sec, or I guess a, a little bit more than a sec. But That was definitely more than a sec, but I think it was all worth it. I agree. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week to Study Buddies. We'll be back with you next Tuesday for another episode. Have a great week. Woohoo. Thanks, guys. Study Buddies was created by Paula Sanchez Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our graphic design was done by Monica Ray Summers Gonzalez, and our intro song was composed by singer songwriter Caught In Between. You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at studybuddies.com and email the show at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com.